I'm going to your house now. I'm going to stab your mummy in the neck, just like you did to my daddy. And then I'm going to stab Holly in the heart, just like you did to me. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spin Posh Presents Pictures Power. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm the other one, Bartek. Bartek, how are you? Ryan, I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. How are you feeling about 2020? 2020, I've got the vision. <laughs> very corny of you. This is our show, Bartek. Pictures Power. We're going to be talking about a movie. We're Spin Polish. We know this routine. We're Spin Polish, likingly, because we're always spitting. And we both happen to be Polish, hence our names, Ryan, very Polish, and Bartek, not so Polish. Yeah, I know. Bartłomie. And we're presenting a show in which we talk about movies. Uh, Pictures Powwow, the show in which we talk about a movie that's come recommended, whether it's been recommended by myself, by you, or by our listeners. Now, Bartek, refresh my memory. Who, what, what, what's, who recommended the movie we're covering, and what movie is it? Ryan, you silly fool, this is a you episode, and you recommended to me and to everyone The Loved Ones. From 2009? From 2009. So, The Loved Ones is the movie we'll be covering. Are we covering it alone? Are we just lone wolves in this? Are we just... I mean... Is the movie so scary that we're just going to be doing it in this room by ourselves? I mean, we are in this room by ourselves, but I've got some voices in my head that I think would like to join us. Yeah? Yes. They are Conrad and Dan from the Movie Oubliette podcast. Hello, guys. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you guys? Thanks. Good. Very good. Very well, thank you. So, which one's which? Who's Conrad? <laughs> so, Conrad Let's is the English guy. Let's do introductions. So, Conrad is the English guy, so you'll recognize me. I'm in Cambridge, UK. Are you a professor? Uh, <laughs> no, sadly not, no. Oh, I thought you might have been like, you know, going up against the local detective. <laughs> I mean, you know, Ryan, he, he showed us the webcam. He had like a bunch of books behind him, so he, <laughs> he is, is a, a professor. He is a professional. He has books. We've got two mattresses behind us. So you're Conrad, and I guess the other voice is you, Dan. Yes, I'm Dan. Uh, I'm also in Melbourne. Just in a different suburb, so. <laughs> um, but I'm originally a Kiwi, so, you know, got to be ah. different somehow. It's good fruit. It's a good fruit, yes. So tell yes. us and your and our listening people a little bit about your show. What do you guys do? What do you guys talk about? We like to talk about sci-fi, fantasy, and horror movies, but we like to champion things that people might have forgotten about that weren't really big hits when they first came out or have sort of been forgotten since. So our show's called Movie Oubliette. An oubliette is a dungeon where you put things to forget about them, as we learned from Hoggle in Labyrinth. <laughs> and yes. So in every episode, we pull a movie out of the oubliette and we talk about it and decide whether we think it should be set free uh, or whether we should just throw it back in there. <laughs> so what are some movies that you guys have talked about on your show? Oh, wow. So many. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I mean, originally we started off doing a lot of 80s films, 80s and 90s mm. films. So like Willow, uh, we've done Demons, uh, Society, uh, the the second Amityville horror movie. Um, what else, Conrad? So many. Well, yeah. you guys did one of my favorite movies, Enemy Mine, which I love. <laughs> I love oh. Enemy Mine. The one which that Dan I hated, did not love, yeah. <laughs> which is which is a mistake, and you're and you, it's okay for for you to be chucked into the oubliette for that decision. Oh. But uh, <laughs> I love that movie, and I was so stoked that you guys did an episode, even though I had different opinions on some things. But uh, yeah, you guys, you guys cover quite an interesting spread. Like when I first found you guys, it seemed like you guys mainly did kind of cult horror movies. And mm. then kind of some sci-fi and then some kid stuff has been appearing. Like recently, as we record this, you did an, the Ewoks TV special. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting show. Like I, we very much kind of like that because with our show, you know, we're, we're also doing similar type of thing where we're getting these kind of movies. For us, when we first started doing our show, Unappreciated Masterpieces, we did a lot of movies that we felt haven't got the, 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 the claim that they deserve. Mainly a lot of kids' films from when we grew up, mm. like Big Fat Liar, mm. a lot of Frankie Muniz material. A lot of 2000s decades. Oh, yeah, right. Uh. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of that era of, of, of cinema and, you know, some other stuff, some Nick Cage stuff here and there and, uh, you know, all this crazy <laughs> stuff. So... Yeah, I, you know, you guys also always, ha you know, you guys usually get some pretty interesting guests as well. And I love with your show, the guests are talking about movies that I wouldn't expect them to be talking about sometimes. Mm. Yeah, that's really fun. It's getting um, famous directors and actors to come on the show to talk about something other than their own movies, which is really interesting. And I think they enjoy the opportunity to do it, actually. So we've had Don Mancini, the creator of Chucky and Child's Play, talking about Death Becomes Her, which was hilarious. Yeah. I was talking to Bartek mm. about that before. Literally I was like, before we called before it. We, yeah. And I said, oh, Death Becomes Her, that's like one of the greatest fun movies ever. <laughs> and it's so weird to hear him talk about this movie like it's this great piece of art, which it is, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's so odd. <laughs> yeah, and somebody like uh, Jacob Gentry talking about Brian De Palma's The Fury as being this really intellectual masterpiece, which we, we just thought it was a trashy movie with Kirk Douglas in his shorts, but apparently not. So, yeah, it's a journey <laughs> of wrong. discovery sometimes. Mm, yeah, and yeah? often we're, uh, we're often swayed by their opinions as well because they, they always mm. have a good... good uh, Something good to bring to the table that we don't expect. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So ha just quick question. Have you guys covered any, since we're Australian and Polish, have you covered any Australian or Polish movies on your show? Two Australian films. Uh, we did Razorback and Did Calm, I think. Okay. That's, that's the only ones we've done, right, Conrad? Yeah, that sounds about right. And we did Black Sheep, which was a Kiwi movie. Yes, <sighs> yes. Cinematic yes. classic. No, no Polish yes. ones yet. Yeah, not yet. I don't know. Well, we haven't done a Polish one either, Ryan. So no, don't, <laughs> don't go gasping. <laughs> you know Polish cinema, so you could bring one I've in. Seen some, <laughs> unlike me. So for this episode, listening people, we are talking about the Australian film The Loved Ones from two thousand and nine. We will be talking about this in depth, so spoilers will be happening. So 
if you haven't had the chance, do check out the movie. Um, if you're squeamish, don't worry. Just, just you know, <laughs> watch it with your first. Watch it on a first date. It's a real date movie, or a real, or a real <laughs> grandmother type movie. You watch it with your nan. That's the type of movie the loved ones is. There's a lot of family in the film. <laughs> family is very important. Now, of course, this is all in jest. It's a, it's a bit of a full on, well, full on, depending what you consider full on horror movie or, or horror tropes in it. So. If you're squeamish, you know, it's okay, but we're going to be talking about the loved ones. Um, usually, I would start straight off the bat by asking everyone one at a time what our history with this movie is, if we have one, but I think I have a more pressing question. Mm, is yes. it finger licking good? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Nasty. Bartek? <laughs> Well, Conrad already said no, so... <laughs> it wasn't finger-licking good, but she said it... He, he and she said it was finger-licking good. <laughs> Do you think the colonel's a liar? Oh, that scene. We'll get to that scene. But, wow. uh, Bartek, do you have a history with the loved ones? I do not. Had you heard of it before? I think I might have heard it in passing, but I didn't know anything about it. So you knew nothing about it. You were coming in blind to this. I think you knew it was going to be a horror movie because last episode I said we were going to cover this in October with these guys, but then you had your back surgery, I got married, and I had to delay it, and I've just been having this bloodlust to cover this movie. It's like, this movie needs to be <laughs> talked about by me. Um, <laughs> Conrad, what about you? Have you heard of this movie? Do you have a history with it? No, not at all. I don't think it really got a very big release over here, so I had never heard of it and never seen it. Okay. What about you, Dan? I Yeah, this has actually been on my list to watch for a while. Um, I have heard of it. It's it's kind of the a genre of horror that I don't really watch that much, so I would consider this one of those kind of torture porn films where it's, you know, it's a lot of torture. Uh, which it delves is, yeah. into that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like even the Saw franchise, it took me a long time to start watching at least one of those films. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think that's why I delayed watching this. But, uh, yeah, I didn't, I hadn't watched it before, but it definitely was something that I did want to watch. And I also know that Australia does film d slightly differently. Um, so even though it is that sort of genre, I knew it was going to be different. So, yeah, I was I was looking forward to watching it. Yes, I guess this could fall into the Ozploitation genre, the Australian mm. exploitation-y type genre, but it kind of does and doesn't. I, I don't know. We'll get into that. My history with this movie is a very fun one. Surprisingly, I haven't mentioned this before on the show because we haven't covered a movie or show or anything that has had this, but here in Australia, we have the TV show Sunrise, one of the morning shows mm -hmm. with uh, yes. David Koshy, the bold bold guy who's a bit of a bit of a bit of an idiot and their mm -hmm. show is you know puff piece you know here's the news here's entertainment and i found this movie when i was i don't know 17 or 16 or whatever they were recommending it on their show and showing <laughs> clips really? but they were showing really? certain <laughs> clips obviously and i thought this movie looked interesting i thought it looked visually breathtaking i'm like this movie for a horror movie because i'm not a big horror movie person like I don't get squeamish about horror movies. It's just something about it. Like only certain ones do it for me. And usually if there's a good comedic take somewhere in there, and this movie kind of has it. And I looked at it and saw this movie could be for me. It has this sensibility just from what and sunrise is talking about it. I don't know why they're talking about it, but I needed to check it out. And 
my acting is in uh, my my background is in acting, and from the clips I saw, you know, we'll talk about it a bit. Uh, uh, Lola, princess, the acting I saw was phenomenal, and I was just like, I need to see this, but. There was no cinema really showing it, so I had to wait until it came out on DVD. And this is one of those movies where I've shown this movie to people who are like, I like horror movies. I like being squirmish. And I'm like, do you, though? Do you? We can watch The Loved Ones. Because it's one of those movies where, you know, Dan, you kind of talked about this kind of can fall into the torture porn kind of genre because it shows the violence and lingers on it very, very much so. But... I've watched a few torture porn ones. I think it's this weird balancing act of like, yes, this falls into some areas of it, but then also it kind of goes against a lot of areas of it as well, considering mm-hmm. this movie has so few kills as well. And and the torture, I don't know, we'll get into that. But Bartek, I'm very curious. What did you think of this movie? I I enjoyed it. I have a few things that like niggled at me, but... They're things that you can easily construe as positive, so I, I cannot say that this is a bad film. I enjoyed it. So, you walked in not knowing anything. Mm-hmm. Did the movie catch you off guard? I mean, I'd, I'd seen the poster, and there was like a synopsis. Which poster? This uh, movie has like 14. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was of um oh, wow. <laughs> of, of Princess holding the drill down towards the camera. Uh, yeah. 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 And, the, and the synopsis said something like, oh, Brent should have said yes, and things like that. <laughs> So you kind of knew that you were getting into a kind of revenge type. Yeah, like a revenge, like lover-scorned sort of thing. <laughs> Not quite, but that, yeah, mm. that sort of idea. So, Dan, knowing that, you know, you had this on your list, but you were kind of hesitant to get to it because, you know, it kind of falls in that torture porn area. It has this excessive kind of violence and stuff that all one could mm-hmm. construe as excessive, or at least full on. What did you think of this movie having now watched it? I yeah I loved it. I it had way more depth than I was expecting. I thought it was just going to get straight into the violence and that was going to be it, but it spent a lot of time setting up like the Brent character and how he, you know, accidentally um kind of killed his dad in a car accident yeah. and and he was suffering and he was like cutting himself with this razor and his his mum was sad. It was just there was so much more character sort of depth to it that I didn't expect. Uh yeah. and also yeah, like you said, it wasn't just kill after kill after the kill. It was a lot of yeah, a lot of torture, I guess. But um it did go against a lot of cliches that I expected. Like it, yeah. it was kind of exploitation, but it kind of wasn't as well because a lot of exploitation films generally exploit girls and and women and there's lots of nudity and rape and just all sorts of depravity and there wasn't can't there wasn't that sort of exploitation no. in this film and all the girls didn't i don't know like even even the mia character or my character she she had sex with jamie but she asked for sex she wasn't like coerced into having sex she wasn't drugged or anything so it was kind of no. nice to watch a film that wasn't icky in that sort of sense yeah so conrad what about you how did you feel about this I, I was pleasantly surprised, I have to say, because like Dan, I'm not hugely um, in with the torture porn. It's not something that I really enjoy. But I think <laughs> this movie, although it has lots of very uh, confronting scenes, I think confronting is a word that Dan would use, 
Um, it doesn't yes. linger on the detail of the injuries necessarily. It doesn't do it in an exploitative way. Sometimes it backs off and focuses mm. more on the impact that it's having on the characters, which I think makes it even more disturbing. I had some trouble with it. The first time I watched it, I had trouble settling into it because for the first act also, I just couldn't get my handle on what sort of tone they were going for, whether it was sort of, you know, popcorn munching, trashy exploitation fun movie, or whether it was more more of a hard hitting drama. It sort of falls between two stools because it's not sort of as yes. gritty and edgy as something like Wolf Creek, but it's mm. not mm. just full on torture porn like Hostel. So I was kind of thinking, what is this? What is this? Um, I thought it was beautiful and I was gripped into the story of it for the, you know, once they the abduction happens i was gripped i wanted to see what happened next i found it very exciting um i was a bit baffled why we were cutting between brent and lola and mia and jamie yeah. all the time i was sort of thinking what is this for is it just kind of a release on a pressure valve is it just a bit of comic relief because it is very funny some of it or yeah. is it commenting on the main action? And I think there are a few places where it does, which we could talk about. So I think the yeah. first time I watched it, I had trouble settling into it. I really enjoyed it once it got going. There were a few things that confused me. And when I watched it a second time, I started to appreciate just um, how much is going on in there, which is quite interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces. And this is one of those ones where it is, you get a surprising amount more from a, a rewatch of it. At least that's what I found mm. with it. There's a lot more little pieces that you're like, oh, yes, this thing was set up much earlier. But I was a fool. Like when to get into some of it, like when I first watched it, I didn't realize until like the scene in which the the policeman, uh, he looks at the the picture of his son on the bedside table. I'm like, oh, that's the like I, I was still like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's his son. That's mm. one of the victims mm. when I first watched it. But then when you watch it again they say it pretty quick up front but it's like the really? movie's making you focus on the comedy in that subplot of his goofy friend who oh. is trying to get a date and stuff but it's already been kind of mentioned and when you even look at that family you can tell that they're grieving for something as well just when you first meet them like mm. them having the photo and how mia's acting and and that stuff, this movie obviously deals a lot with with grief. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the major plot things. I can see what you say, Conrad, about uh, kind of finding it a bit difficult to get into the, the tone or the, the aspect of the movie. I don't know about you, Bartek, or, or you, Dan, but uh, you know, for me, I, I, I guess it's that thing of I've seen a lot of Australian movies kind of do this similar type of balancing act between serious uh like whether it be crime or drama and this aussie comedy dark humor sensibility like on our show we we covered um two hands the heath ledger movie and that movie does very similar kind of balancing act between these different tones so i wasn't you know i'm kind of familiar with this australian kind of vibe of humor what about you bartek were you similar to conrad at all I suppose I was watching it and I and I did kind of understand the vibe they were going for, but then once it got to the, the scene where Brent is tied up and, you know, he's at the table. The dinner scene. Um, yeah, the dinner scene. <laughs> uh, 
princess's behavior threw me off because that's not the kind of character that I was actually expecting. Mm. Um, obviously, I was expecting, like, you know, craziness to happen. Um, but I thought that she was going to play up more of the innocence, but, like, <sighs> she... that That's the biggest shock for me. Right. That, like, oh, no, she's she's playing up this sadism. You thought she was going to be mm. the honey trap and the dad was going to be the, the, the main kind I, of thing. I, like, no, she I, was going to be the thing that brings them in and the dad's kind of, like, that kind of no, aspect? No, no, I knew... I, I was expecting that she was going to be the mastermind, but I thought that she'd be playing it a bit more, like, faux innocent or or something like that. Like... When she was like saying the whole finger licking good, this crazy faces she made at him, I'm like, oh, she's actually kind of here to have fun yeah. with him. Yeah. Mm. One of the things that yeah. I will touch on with that is the movie, I think, does a great job of fooling you in that way. One of the things I noticed this time around that cracked me up, I just lost it with laughter, is um, when uh, Brent gets abducted and they're driving at night back to the house, and they stop to get the possum off the road, which, geez. <laughs> the thing that cracked me up is, these people are like psychopaths and whatever. He still put his, he still put his uh, blinker on for when he had to turn the corner. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah. little things like that, or little things that these two characters, Daddy and, and Princess, Lola is they do these little things of how they could come across as normal people or as people that you wouldn't suspect of doing anything. Like, one of the things I really appreciate about this movie, one of the things I hate about horror movies is, in a movie like this, which is very full-on in its visual style, like, it isn't afraid to show you, like, a, you know, it cranks it up a bit with its visual style of, like, here's this thing. Mm. But the one thing I love is they don't live in a horror movie house. They just live in a mm. house. They don't live in the house that's like that where Satan lives, where like, of course, this is the murder house where, where there's murders. This isn't the nothing but trouble mansion. This isn't this <laughs> isn't the Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. This isn't this isn't nothing but trouble with Dan Aykroyd. This is just like a normal house that's in the bush, and you wouldn't yeah, know yeah. anything goes on there. And it's like little touches of that. Or I really noticed that the dad on the side of his ute it says his name and what his job is, which is home repairs. And you're like, oh, of course. They're setting up mm. that he has all these tools and that he oh, could build a basement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that... I, I think that's what we were talking, like we were kind of mentioning how it goes against cliches. Like it, they're not like this really inbred, like redneck, just insane, crazy family. Like they don't have like, you know, meat hooks on the wall and like, uh, you know, like surgical tools on the table or anything. It's yeah. They're, they're, mm. they're sort of portrayed as just a normal Aussie, seemingly wholesome family. And yeah, that's kind of that's true. Like I like how you said they didn't have yeah. surgical tools or anything. Like they just have normal stuff that's in the house. Like when when they grab that 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 thing of salt, I'm like, I have that in my cupboard. I have that exact same <laughs> yeah. thing of salt. Yeah, you probably wouldn't blink twice at like someone having salt or a nail and a hammer, but you can do some crazy stuff with that or a fork. Or a fork. I was yeah. gonna say she yeah. draws on his chest later that we don't see, which is interesting. Uh, with the fork, and I'm like, oh, I forgot it's a fork. Of course, <laughs> of course, they only use things that's in the house that normal people would have in their house. They don't have that yeah. horror movie yeah. horror movie device. <laughs> They don't have Jeremy Irons' tools and... They don't have, like, oh, this is a specialist-only object. They yeah, get. they don't have, like... Mm. I can't remember what the David Cronenberg movie is. There's this one with De Jeremy oh, Irons. Dead Ringer. Yeah, Dead Ringers. They don't have his tools yeah. that he has for gynecology. <laughs> they don't have that kind of thing. They just have normal things. Um, but they're very inventive with them, though, because I've never even imagined or seen somebody inject somebody's thorax with bleach before... 
or no. lobotomize them by drilling a hole in their skull and then pouring boiling water in. I mean, it's pretty terrifying inventive torture that they come up with. Mm. But the thing, yeah. too, I, I found out from... Uh, this had a director's commentary track was, all that stuff were things that actual serial killers have used. Yeah, that was Jeffrey so, Dahmer, oh, right? Yeah, and, the, and a lot of them use the uh -huh. drano in the throat to strip their voice. So it's like an interesting oh. thing of like, hey, they're not just doing the gag in the mouth. Mm -hmm. Um... I have to say right off the bat that the the whole syringe in the throat thing kind of went over my head the whole way through. I was like, oh man, what could that have been? What what does it do? And it's only mm. like when the police officer was killed near the end that I realized, oh, it, it got rid of his voice. Yeah, yeah, it stripped his and voice. And gave him yeah. like that demonic like, yeah. voice. Like I thought that was just my copy messing up. Yeah. Um, with this film, we have um mentioned the the violence and how it is full on it get delves in this torture porn um area but like we said we found that this movie had a lot more meaning the violence kind of has some more weight to it than than what one would expect but that doesn't mean that there aren't moments that just kind of make you squirm away did we have any particular moments of violence that just makes your skin go oh no oh i don't want to see that or i don't want to hear that this has great sound design by the way mm. this film <laughs> amazing I suppose I found the, the threats of violence a bit more squeamish than like when it actually happened. Do you mean when she threatened to bite his penis off? <laughs> oh, bite the penis off, the nail to the penis, the like leading yeah. up to hammering the knife into the foot. Like yeah. when they actually happen, it's like, oh, that's gruesome. But like waiting for it to happen, like I found that a bit more like ooh, full on. Uh, for me, I don't know. <laughs> I, I always find it, I don't know. I do find it a bit full on when, um, when he gets nailed to the floor i don't know it's just, it's just like foot stuff is like not my bag baby with the knives with the knives yeah. as well not even nails. i'm sure i'm knives. sure quinn tarantino <laughs> loved it but uh <laughs> yeah and it's the fact that it's with just kitchen knives just normal knives <laughs> yeah just yeah. like steak knife yeah <laughs> what about yeah. what about you guys any moments of violence that that just made made you go oh well, for me, it was definitely the dr drilling through the skull because, again, this is one of the things I highlighted that it, they don't sort of linger on the drill bit going in and have some prosthetics and special effects. It focuses on Brent's face and the sound, and the sound is awful. <laughs> Yeah. And the smoke, and the smoke coming off of his oh, head. Oh, yeah, you can almost smell. Yeah, oh, it's horrible. <laughs> the second time they drilled his head, there was this, like, crack sound. I'm like, oh, my God. The sound oh. design. I don't know. I think this is one of my favorite sound designs for a more modern horror movie. It's mm. got some crunchy sounds. It's got that nice, wet, squilching sounds and that mm. the screaming that he when he gets injected in the throat. I've never heard some scream, someone scream like that in a horror movie, mm. like a genuine person, not a monster. I, th I think when the, yeah. when the dad drove his car into the tree, the sound effect for it hitting the tree was a bit weird. But other than that, yeah. It's, he, he, uh, that's another thing. Another Australian joke of, what does he do? He checks the car. As soon as he hit it into the tree, the dad's more concerned about the car than the victim <laughs> yeah. that he's chasing. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Dan? You were a bit hesitant oh. about going into this to begin with, about this violence that was going to be in your face. Was there a moment that was like, oof, for you? Yeah, I think I think Bartek, uh like hit nail and head in terms of like the threat of violence. No, even it was even a drill that scene, it was a nail to the yeah, penis. Well. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But yeah, that scene where where he he's threatening to nail his penis to the chair, uh, and, and until he 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 
pisses into this glass that Lola is like holding. <laughs> like that just could, had milk just in felt, it. <laughs> yeah, that I could feel that amount of pressure. I mean, I don't know whether I could do that. I don't even <laughs> at that stake, like being able to piss into a glass with two people standing right right in front of me. I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> well, one was kneeling, but <laughs> I know I can barely get a stream going when I've got another guy stood next to me at the urinal. Much less when I've got a crazy lady holding my dick and her dad standing over my shoulder with a hammer in his hand. <laughs> so I think Brent deserves a medal just for that, not for anything else he does oh, in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I give him a medal for using that razor blade to great effect. <laughs> he, mm, yeah, that razor blade. True. He could be a magician. That is one of those great plot devices of like we've set this up and it actually works and it's actually very great mm. and it works thematically for a lot of things but it's also just like yes cut these people up mm. um <laughs> i did I, I did find it was a tiny bit of a like plot hole because i thought you know they they redressed him right they they put him in that suit that that sort of prom suit um, yeah so surely they would have seen a razor blade over his like around his neck and being hmm maybe we should not leave that on him and yeah uh, <laughs> there's always stuff like but that like you could also go like know, how can he walk know, at the end of this movie <laughs> exactly <laughs> because that's, it's true. That's, true. that's the thing if the movie's good at least for me with especially horror movies if you're captured into the world the tone and whatnot it doesn't matter it just doesn't mm. matter like the razor blade it works it's great they use it to great effect to give some you know praise to someone that you know i think often gets overlooked in this movie the lead xavier samuel as brent he has the <laughs> toughest role in the movie which is he's tied to a chair for a lot of it and he's not allowed to speak and he's mm. covered in blood and hair and yet i find his performance mesmerizing like obviously oh, we're going to talk yeah. about lola and daddy they're the standouts but he has the hard job of being the anchor the silent anchor in this movie you are him. You're feeling his pain. He's smart, but not too smart. And he makes mistakes, but reasonable mistakes. And I think the performance from before he gets kidnapped and after and during, he has that hard job of just, you know, having to be that kind of, you know, that passive main character who eventually has to rise up and be the hero that we need. And I think that he often gets overlooked for this performance because she is just so fantastic and so is Daddy. But I think, you know, just a just a special little mention of, I think he did a great job. I don't know about you guys. Oh, Anyone? yeah, I loved him. I thought he was, I thought it was great. Like you mentioned the fact that he, you know, he gets his voice stripped. You know, he still has to act like this very <clears throat> in pain dude that has to succumb, I mean, um, overcome uh, all of these challenges to get free and, and get an escape and stuff. Like it's pretty amazing what he sort of accomplished by not really having that many lines yeah mm. and i think they do a good job of setting his character up with that backstory and then later on we find that backstory ties in to the current story which is great it yes. all kind of turns around and kind of ties itself up in a neat little bow which is mm, always yes. a pleasure i i always get Although... it's always it tickles the brain although i i'm still confused where aiden is where's aiden um, so that's a, the thing. I, I think it just doesn't matter. I think he's you know, still out there. He's still out there, or like she said, he's, he's dead walking. by now. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, true. It's it, like that's the thing. Like this is one of those movies for me in which some things can be left without being tied up fully, but because it, that doesn't matter, it's more like hey, that tied into the beginning of the movie, and maybe he's out there. 
It adds to to the mystery for people who are like, what happened to him? Maybe he's still out there, or he's probably dead. He had he got drilled in the skull, <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. So he's probably not all right. And if no one's found him by now. <laughs> <laughs> he could be in The Loved Ones 2, Aiden's Revenge. You never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe. <laughs> the Loved I mean, Ones when, 2. When they, when they did reveal the basement with the the previous <laughs> Loved Ones, I guess, um, all uh, in there, like, eating other corpses and stuff, that was, and that was pretty yeah. shocking. <laughs> that was pretty shocking for me. I did not expect that. Yes, that is the big kind of twist of this movie. When I've shown this to people, that's the moment. Like, people get completely, like, on the edge of their seat. Like, what the fuck? Because you think it's just going to be this movie between these three characters, this torturing, and it's Mm. very, like, misery. You know, a lot of misery imagery, you know, the hobbling and that kind of stuff, and a crazy woman, Uh and a man bound bound to something or whatever. But then you open up that basement door and you hear monster noises. But then yeah. you think about it, when they reveal it, they have the strip throat as well. So it's not monster noise, mm. but when I've watched it with people, people are like, oh my god, is that hell down there? People think that they have a basement to hell or something, which I guess makes sense because you've got a lot of heavy metal music, some some kind of you know devil-like imageries kind of thrown in there, and then it's juxtaposed with the bubblegum pink dress and like all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Bartek, mm. how did you feel about that moment in the movie when, when they open up that basement and you hear noises? What did you think was going to be there? I'm like, what do they have in there? Like a crazy crocodile or something? Like, <laughs> but then when I realized, like, oh, it's the old loved ones, and it just made me flash back to when they picked up the roadkill. At that point, I thought, like, oh, you know, they're a, they're a fucked up family. They're going to eat that roadkill. But now it all just makes sense. Like, oh, no, they're not going to eat it. They're going to feed it to, you know, these people that they have trapped in their base the basement yeah and they're like these vegetables these zombie like creatures that are just eating roadkill and they're like all um, like they're all skinny and they got the the love hearts on the chest it's just so gruesome so so conrad when it when it came to that moment did you like it or did you think it went too far well uh, i have to say i was okay with it but i was kind of surprised because i was trying to figure out exactly what Lola's goals were (laughs) because on the one hand she's taking people and she's uh, trying to create this idealized version of of what a date would be or what a relationship would Mm. be so they're having this kind of mad tea party complete with balloons and glitter and so on you'd think normally this would lead to some sort of sexual assault or just them being killed and you know buried out back or something like that to Mm. find out that She's lobotomizing them and keeping them in a pit is a bit of a shock. So ultimately, I came to realize that the most important thing to her wasn't um, recreating a perfect relationship because all of them disappointed her. None of them lived up to her father. It was more humiliation was really what she was after. It was sort of revenge yeah. in the, for, for all the ways that she'd been humiliated. So with all these guys, mm. like when she's flipping through her scrapbook of previous conquests, she's sort of giggling about the fact that, oh, this one peed his pants. And um, <laughs> um, and all yeah. the in-jokes so, with her dad. Yeah. yeah, all the little in-jokes yeah, that they exactly. had between each other. Yeah, I can't yeah, ha- ha- happy memories and yeah exactly so it's and she's really frustrated with brent when they are hammering his feet into the floor with steak knives that he's not crying she's really frustrated that they haven't broken Mm. him yet so Mm. i think the most important thing to her is debasing all of these these men 
and then yeah. l- just leaving them as these brain dead monsters in the cellar with tasteful loincloths which was <laughs> yeah i i 100 <laughs> agree i also think yeah, i also think it's not just about debating i think with the th- iconography of her carving on their chest the love heart and her initials i think it's also like ownership like i own you now like you are mine oh, and you're going to be down in this basement and yeah. branding you you're you're my thing that i can play with because she's very much like a child the the mm. director writer thought got inspired nonetheless by his five year old niece who is in that phase of being a young girl where she's all into princesses and magic and finding your true love and it was like what if you still have this mentality but you're a sexually charged hormone filled teenage girl who's a psychopath and mm. that's an interesting mm. twist on this kind of thing that's this kind of thing of the we don't often get very much or at least i'm not as familiar with too many the the it's the crazy woman who's the serial killing mad person who's got the taken a vengeance against the guy but also this movie does a twist of it's not just her it's also her dad which i also <laughs> find an interesting twist on that twist we're not mm. as familiar we're not as accustomed to seeing the the serial killer woman in these type of things. And if we are, we're usually used to them being Annie Wilkes or the or the girl from Audition, where they're usually doing it on their own. Mm. But she's got her dad helping her, which just... <laughs> and, it, and it begs questions, like, how did this originate? Did he make her be like this, or did she make him like this? Or, yeah. yeah, I think mm. one of the things that that we just touched on a moment ago with... Uh, the they they have this uh, the daddy and princess ha- and Lo- Lola they have this you know this routine it's a routine to them and this does one of my favorite things with serial killer things which is that you understand the methodology and the steps that they take to choose their victims and do it but for me although this film's very over the top and flashy and it's ways of like they they put bleach in and they lobotomize them for me it doesn't go to that point of overly complicated like Hannibal Lecter does in some media or Dexter where I go I don't know this feels too pretentious and too much like a piece of media's version of a serial killer's way of doing serial killing well this I'm like well that makes sense she would carve into them that makes sense like it all kind of makes sense and it's it's a dark twist on what we saw her doing earlier when she was drawing in the scrapbook and like you know it was parodying the the whole like you know upset teen movie girl with the song playing in the background. The dad yeah, comes in, chambers. gives her yeah. something to cheer her up, <laughs> and then yeah, the dark twist is oh she's doing it on their bodies with a fork from their blood. And then also the love heart, she puts a dot on their forehead as well. So that's also calling yeah. to something that happens later as well. She's a nice girl, guys. The dot will be here later. <laughs> <laughs> um. We talked about briefly the subplot of his doofus friend having going to the dance. Um, that's a lot of that's a problem with a lot of people who watch it, and it's one that I flip flop on myself. Like sometimes I really really vibe with it, and sometimes I'm like, and then other times I never not vibe with it. It's just sometimes I'm like, I want to go back to Lola, please. Mm. <laughs> I love mm. his dumbass mate. He's great, but I want to go back to Lola. But then at the same time, it's like. We said it's kind of like relieving the pressure, because mm. do we really need to see her carve into his chest with the fork, or would it just be great to see his dumbass mate get chucked out of the school dance and the teachers just like <laughs> go elsewhere? And also, for all it's hyped up, actually seeing the school dance and actually seeing the school dance, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
what did you guys feel about this subplot overall? Do you think, like, at the end it kind of all pays off? Or do you think, like, a little bit less of it? Or do you think it kind of just, you know, didn't need to be there at all? I mean, I think it does pay off. Like, you know, eventually you find out that uh, Mia's brother is the one that was taken. uh, And that's why she's all, you know... um, sad and depressed and stuff uh she also fits into this character sort of trope that i've only just kind of found out about that ha- people have been labeling as the goth rebel dream girl right, she's right. kind of like <laughs> that character she's a goth she's just like sad but she's the she wants you know, the other male characters want to you know um go out with her and attack attain her because she's so rebellious and dark and mysterious and stuff um but in the end she's because she's like that because of the loss of her brother and stuff so i thought it paid off but yeah i think there was a lot of it maybe too much i think maybe it did sort of sway away from the main uh sort of the the center stage of of brent being tortured a little mm. bit, but I did, I did like it. I mean, it was very Aussie. Like there was heaps of Aussie music that was playing on the, on the cast stereo. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. His, his friend was funny. And also the fact that he did actually <laughs> score. So, you know, yeah. props to him. And he didn't do it in any evil ways. So no, well she, she was well very done, much so. her, like you said, this rebe- rebel person, but she's very much taking charge of who she is. Like even when she gets out of the car and she falls over and he tries to help her up, she's like, I can get up myself. I don't like, I don't need that. Like I, I can, I can be fine. Like she's a very mm. like uh matter of fact type of person. Of course we find out she's very wounded and she's grieving over this loss, but she's, you mm. know, she's her own. She's not going to be defined by the guy. Yeah. Um, nor really, I, I also think Holly, uh, Brent's girlfriend also does a, that character does a good job of not just being like the handbag character, the girlfriend character. I think she does just mm. enough to take things into her own hands with it being reasonably realistic for what it is. Um, what about you, Conrad? You kind of mentioned before, like you, you rewatched it, uh, the, the, the subplot with, with the best friend kind of, kind of got a bit better for you. Yeah, I think so on second viewing. I think where I arrived at eventually is that the film's really talking about the dangers of objectification. So on the one hand, you have Jamie has the the stereotypical slow-mo girl work, walking down the hallway in high school, isn't she gorgeous, to sort of show you that mm. he's attracted to her. And uh, so he goes out with her and goes to the, his sort of perfect uh, high school prom with her and you're sort of contrasting between that and Lola objectifying Brent and kidnapping him and nailing him to the floor so that she can have her perfect high school dance with him. Um, and there are moments where the two cross over and directly comment on each other. So there's you, you're cross-cutting between the two when they're slow dancing. So you've got mm. uh, Mia getting a bit handsy with Jamie on the dance floor at their high school prom, so much so the teacher throws them out. Uh, and then you contrast that with the neon pink and blue with daddy sprinkling glitter on Brent and Lola having their slow dance. Uh, you have the moment where Lola says, you're, you're going to be my first drilling, which is all very <laughs> penetrative and sexual. And you're cross-cutting between that and 
uh, Jamie and Mia getting it on in the car. And that's one of the moments where the film sort of yeah, tricks you into okay. thinking that the two stories are going to come together by making you think that the dad is sneaking up on the car, but he's not. It's a, it's yeah. a completely different scene. They, they are sort of commenting on each other. And I felt as though that was where the movie was a little bit deeper than I was expecting it to be. Because in other movies that this obviously borrows from, like Misery, it's just cross-cutting between the guy who's imprisoned and is trying to escape with the increasingly crazy person and the police trying to find him. And that's your release valve. You just cross between yeah. those two to build tension. Mm. Uh, this movie has this third prong and you think, well, why is that there? Because it's it doesn't seem to be there for any other reason. And I think it is because it's trying to comment on these two, these two situations where somebody has idealized someone and is going out with mm. them possibly for very shallow reasons and they get more than they bargained for. Because I think Jamie does sort of take advantage of Mia. She is completely paralytic at the end of it, but he, yeah. he's kind of just swept along with what she wants. So I don't think he's a douchebag. I, I think he's opportunistic, no. but I don't I don't think he's an asshole. He's um, a teenage boy. He is a teenage <laughs> yeah. boy. And I think he he just gets caught up in this situation <laughs> and, and does does the best he can. And he does get her safely home at the end. And he gets the scornful look from the dad at the end. He gets that look yes. from the policeman oh, dad. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, I, I must have danced her off her feet, which is just like a great capper <laughs> yeah. to all of that. You're like, yep. But then the movie's like, no, no, that's not the capper. She's in her bedroom crying about her brother. That's the capper to this. Mm. <laughs> like, it her. is. And, like, and that's where I think it gets the message across, which is he's taking advantage of, of her. Who and, and then you find out why she is the way she, it, she is. And it all ties back mm. to this, this collective trauma, this grief. So I think the film is a lot more serious than it first appears. And that, I really appreciated that. I have a soft spot for the subplot because the, the her dad, the policeman, is uh, Andrew Gilbert, who's one of those unsung Australian character actors that is just in everything. And uh, he was the dad in Round the Twist, a very popular Australian mm. children's show. But I know him from one of my favorite Australian movies, Idiot Box, which stars Ben Mendelsohn and uh, Jeremy Sim. Oh. And uh, he plays a character in that that is just so great i love that character and i love that movie so i see him in this and i'm like you know sometimes when you see a certain character actor and they appear in a movie and that just gives you a bonus point for the movie because you're like of course you got like that's perfect <laughs> you got them this guy's in it and yeah. i always get that from watching him he's one of those actors where he's not doing too much in this movie but it's the little things he is doing are really effective. It's not at all show-offy. He does comedy when there needs to be. He does the drama when there needs to be. So I have a personal affection for the subplot because I just love that Australian character actor. He's just one of those guys that when I see him, I just sit back and go, he's going to be great. And he usually is. Very oh, yeah. understated, <laughs> but very great. I just love that. There's always I love, that kind I love of character Twist. Actor. What was that? I love Rounder Twist. Uh, it was big in New Zealand as well because Paul Jennings was massive. Yeah, which is what it's based on his books. Um, but I heard they're, they're remaking it. I think <sighs> they're remaking everything, dude. When are we going to get the loved ones again? <laughs> the American, <laughs> but with Justin with Justin Bieber as Brent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll see that. And, and Miley Cyrus <laughs> as Lola. Now we've got to talk about Lola. We've got to talk about mm. how great she is. I think she's one of my favorite horror movie villains. I love her. She's fantastic. <laughs> Everything she does and every choice that Robin McLeavy makes as an actress, every piece of costuming she's given, every single shot, 
perfect. There's not a moment that I don't buy it. Like, I don't have that moment where I go, that's not in character for this person. Like, I don't believe that. E- including the end. I love her ending. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> she's a fucking Terminator. And it's just great. I, everything, this is one of those performances of, you know, if it wasn't for the fact it's a small Australian movie and also it's a horror movie, she would have got a lot of acclaim for this performance because this is one of those ones where it's a tightrope walk of campy, over the top, but deadly serious mm. and scary. I love her in this. She's great. Bartek, were you a fan of Lola? I thought she did a good job. Any highlight moments for you? Standout little things or big things? I just think the whole contrast between, again, that second scene where she's in her bedroom with the song playing. Am I not pretty enough? The Am I Not Pretty Enough song, <laughs> uh, drawing, and then just Head of comparing that to everything she does afterwards is just, yeah, really great. My highlight for her, one of the things that cracks me up but also is fucking unnerving, is when he pees and then she's like, it's crying. Yeah. I, <laughs> I should kiss it better. And then do I need to bite it off so she can't kiss it? It's like, oh, Jesus. She's she's going between all these modes. What about you guys? Fan of Lola? Would you want to take yeah, her I to found, your dance? I've... Oh, <laughs> definitely not. But I, I did find her so captivating. But almost in a cringy way. Like some mm. of the things she was doing, I was like, oh, I feel so uncomfortable right now. But yeah. that was kind of, that's what her character was supposed to be. Like just very, very uncomfortable. And yeah, by the time at the end, you said like she was like a term, the Terminator. She's dragging herself all along the road with a knife and it's just the most <laughs> and her wrist bone sticking out of her hand <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's awful <laughs> terrifying do you um, think that she that, went too yeah. over the top at any points or do you think that she kind of does this tightrope walk out because i've heard people complain that she's too over the top what about what do you think uh i thought she was pretty good i think there's one scene where she yells and it's a little bit over the top but uh, I don't know. I th- I thought she was okay. Uh, she I think she was well-balanced. And I liked the bits where she was kind of acting more sort of innocent girly uh, when they're mm. taking the picture and, and the dad's like, say something. She's like, happy. And she does this little, like, <laughs> twist, like an Instagram twist. So I was like, yeah, oh, my gosh. Gosh. <laughs> I, I love those little moments, too, where she sees, where she's like this inner child, like when she's throwing the rocks up at him in the tree. Like, it's oh, like she's yeah. like a little girl. But then she cackles <laughs> yeah. like an evil witch. She's like, nah. And you're like, yeah. oh, she's like, oh, let me have a go now. Or when <laughs> one of these little touches I love in a very uncomfortable scene, when she gets her dress and you see, like, this mm. film's really cementing there's this incestual angle into the movie. Mm. Uh, when she says, like, when she shows the daddy the dress, she, she does, like, she spreads the dress out like a little girl and, like, like just, like, looking for her dad's approval that she's pretty looking like a small child would do. It's like a little touch mm. like that where I just go, that's unnerving, but it's real mm. for that character. Conrad, Lola, did you take her to your school dance? Uh, no <laughs> thankfully no i i think she did a really good job of it actually uh, robin mcclevy she's the stillness of her was the thing that disturbed me the most she isn't a manic pixie dream girl gone bad she is most terrifying when she's just very rational and very quiet sort of demanding things of him what i really love is how 
the cinematography sort of plays against that to sort of hint at the churning madness beneath her. They they get a lot of mileage out of the disco ball that they've got yeah. set up in the house. <laughs> so you have all these wonderful shots of her silhouetted in a trap door, just looking down, disappointed and sneering at him with this spiralling madness on the ceiling behind her, just hinting at how crazy she is. I think she got the balance exactly right. And there are moments in there that are almost genuinely touching. Like after she's rejected Brent and she's dancing with her dad and she's yeah. kind of exp- explaining to him that he's the only man for her. And it's kind it's like of touching, genuine but also... Yeah. It's her dad. Yeah, it is, but, it's, but it's really yeah. creepy at the same time, but you totally buy into the, you know, how she's feeling about this. So yeah, I loved it. For a film that's less than 90 minutes, it clocks in at an hour and 15 minutes, precisely, when the movie ends. It bulks up so much time with giving you this world building without being too overt about it. Like, we haven't even talked about Bright Eyes. That's a whole Mm. thing in the movie. And they don't give you that uh... exposition dump of this is what happened to her. You just know that that dynamic turned at one point and daddy chose daughter. Like, that's something fucked up. It took, and it, for me, at least, it took me a while to realise that that person was alive. <laughs> yeah, yes. they're just zombified. Like, fun fact, that actress is a regular on the TV show Neighbours. And I like oh. that and she was doing Neighbours at the time. So I just love that just someone who's in the soap opera TV show Neighbours did this movie too, and she's like this fucked up lobotomized creature it's so fucked up she doesn't have any neighbors yeah exactly they're in the middle (laughs) yeah there's like this world building like this backstory of this family and 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 him and his mom and the grief that all these people are going through yet it's only an hour and 15 minutes and this is one of the things that i want to mention with modern cinema with a lot of a lot of movies are clocking in at the moment around two hours nearly three hours and this movie barely 90 minutes doesn't even reach it and i feel like it told so much story, so much world building, mm. so much ethos and mythos and all the stuff surrounding this. And it's an hour and 15 minutes. And I don't think it needs yeah. to be any longer. It, it, it reaches, it, 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 it's like we killed her, go back home and just reunite and just, you know, hug each other. Like, yeah, you could say it's a cheesy ending, but boy, I don't know. I think it earns it at this point. I think I just want him to be happy. <laughs> I want him to hug people and be all right and uh, be okay. <laughs> the best scene in the movie that most people would point to, and I think it is for me, is the whole dinner scene, the finger licking good scene. Often gets compar- mm. compared to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, and that kind of yeah. stuff. How did we feel about this scene? A lot of people would say this is kind of the turning point. Uh, Conrad, I think you were kind of hinting at that earlier. Like once he gets abducted and once he's taken to the house, this is where the movie like really picks up. Did we love mm. this scene? Did we not? What did we all feel about this? Bartek? Um, yeah, with with the way I see this film and films like it, like uh, Dan pointed out earlier, it's like a torture porn type thing. Mm. I see them more as um, focusing on characters in a lot of despair. Yeah. And I kept comparing it in my head mm. to Red State, which we did last year, because that also yeah. had like a oh, kidnapping yeah. angle. Um, people being like you know dehumanized in cages things like that um and this was definitely the part of the film where that stuff begins like he'd been kidnapped already at this point yeah we like not too many details but here it's like okay this is the film now um and i think it sets it up pretty well like he wakes up he looks to his left 
oh, there's the girl I said no to. There's a guy to the right. Who is this lady alive? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just raises all these questions, but also like, yeah, shows you. And this he's what you're in for. and he's feeling the surroundings of, oh, what can I do? Maybe I can get out by needing to pee. Oh, that ain't gonna work. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you, Bartek, with the finger licking good scene, and I will make this a broad question with you as well, because you have a similar comedy sensibility. Did you find that funny or did you find it unnerving? Because I know people who are like, that scene is hilarious when she's finger licking good. Like that reflex of like, this is a really fucked up thing, but it's really funny. That's me. I find it hilarious when she's like, is it finger licking good? Well, is it? And she does like that face of not when she starts nodding with her mouth wide open. Like, yeah. (laughs) Did you find it funny or unnerving? Uh, To be honest, I'm just kind of in the middle. Like, I don't. I don't, didn't really stand out too much for me, but it obviously was this like realization for me because of mm. my expectations of what this character was going to be. It's like okay, it's going to be a bit more goofy. And with the you know general darker tones of the movie, did you find the humor there striking in general, or did you find yourself in the middle, like you were just saying, or kind of leaning on like the horror aspect heavier for you? I like I said because I was thinking of this as like a despair type film. I was always looking at the main character, like what he, what he's thinking. Um, and yeah. earlier I said that, you know, there are some things in this film that niggled at me, but can be construed as a good thing. Mm. One of the things that I did have was I wish that the main character could have, you know, voiced his feelings a bit more, or shown a bit more expression. Mm. Um, but like you said, um, the fact that he's been robbed of his ability to do that, you know, is kind of part of the experience. And when he does make his actions, he makes them worthwhile. Like even mm. the failed escape attempt... That shit's so fucking rewarding when it happens, even though it's a failed escape attempt. Like, sometimes in horror movies, when they have that failed escape attempt, I roll my eyes so hard and go, oh my fucking god, they're doing this? This is wasting to my time. Mm. Now, Conrad, (laughs) with you, this this dinner scene, how did you feel about it? Did you find it entertaining? Did you find it unnerving? And in general, did you find... The, the, with the darker portions of the movie, did you find the humor in it, or were you more leaning on the, the, the darkness of it? I think it was the, the darkness, like Bartik. I was more situated in the main character all, the, all of the time. He does such a great job of establishing his perspective, like the first shot. I love, I love the fact that Lola just sort of edges into frame from the left-hand <laughs> side. It's just that realisation of, oh, shit, what situation am I in here? And although I appreciated the dark absurdity of some of the ridiculous parts of that scene... I was always so rooted in the character and, oh God, how would I get out of the situation that I, I didn't laugh out loud? I think the only thing I laughed out loud at was Jamie's attempt to be smooth and and slide over the bonnet of his car <laughs> and yeah. face plant on the oh, floor, yeah. which had me roaring. But uh, no, the, the, I think the pressure cooker of, of the abduction scenes, I was always sort of focused on the character's experience. So yeah, yeah I, th- I found them pretty tough. I think I always find I levitate towards... With me, I've talked about this on the show before. Growing up and still now, I'm in love with acting. And when it comes to acting, villains are always the best thing to look at. As a kid, I never really (laughs) truly rooted for good guys. I always watched it for bad guys. I'm that kid. And in this movie, I'm watching her and I'm like, this is a fucking hilarious performance. The... The bit where, and it's also like the filmmaking, the cinematography in this movie is so gorgeous, but also in the use of slow motion and speeding up and all that. There's that scene where she gets crowned 
and it's shot like a commercial, like this beautiful commercial, <laughs> and I'm losing it because of her face and she's like parting her hair so daddy can put on the crown. Or little things like the dad, when he takes off his crown, he takes it off so gently and then he scrunches it up and throws it away anyway. It's like shit like that always gets me. Like I always have that macabre sense of humor where I'm like, these are weird choices, but they make complete sense to me. Dan, what about you? When it comes to this big dinner scene, this big kind of like cat and mouse, how do you feel about it all? Yeah, I loved it. I really loved. It. I I really loved that that failed escape as well. Um, how he yeah he he kind of unties his arms and then he like hops away because he's still got his legs tied up. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> ridiculous things like that, just like really hilarious. And then like. You're, it's really tense when he's outside and you don't know where he is and the dad goes out and he gets into his car and then he sees him and then he runs away and just climbs a tree. I was like, I, I guess I would do that, but... <laughs> he's using his rock climbing situation. skills. Come on. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> but yeah, and, and the fact that they, they get him down by throwing rocks at him and he tum- he completely nails himself on the car when he falls down. Like, oh, yeah. that's going to yeah. hurt. For, they don't pussyfoot around with that. Yeah, they don't pussyfoot around with that. I yeah. love, yeah, the failed escape attempt. It is genuinely intense, but also like when he kicks her, it's so satisfying. And also mm. you go, ah, they did tie his feet to the chair. Idiots. They just tied his feet together. Yeah. Dumbasses. And then, then they're like, oh, don't worry. We learn from our mistakes. And we'll you're like, oh no, please don't. We'll nail him to the floor. And by nail, we mean knife him to the floor. <laughs> Knifey, knifey <laughs> to, to the floor. Yeah, like, I know, I find a lot of the humor for me, like dark sensibility humor. Like one of my favorite movies of, of the 2010s I know what it's is, be. is The Guest, yeah. uh, the Adam oh, Wingard movie. And I think yeah. that's one of the funniest films ever made. But people I watch it with are like, I didn't find it funny. And then other people are like, I found it hilarious, right? It's like this really fucking weird <laughs> movie and i like i have that really sense that sense of the macabre kind of humor and this movie just strikes it like her singing am i not pretty enough anytime the juxtaposition of that song and this movie is fantastic yep. this song that song mm, has a whole yeah. new meaning now so if you go to the YouTube uh, video clip, the, all the comments are from people that have watched The Loved Ones. It's hilarious. It's got to be, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be. Cause I love when a horror movie in particular gets something like that. It gives it a new meaning, this new life. And I always mm. think about, like, how does Shania Twain... It's Shania Twain, yeah? Uh, how does she feel about that? Like, when she wrote the song and oh, performed singer, it yeah. and, and made it and it was a hit and teen girls loved it and now full-grown men with beards and leather jackets and horror movie memorabilia like i fucking love that song that song's so dark it's <laughs> oh. so fucking good <laughs> i have to it's a i have to correct you sorry it's not it's not shania twain it's casey chambers casey chambers um, i always get them too confused casey chambers who was an aussie yeah it's so, yeah it's it's just and I remember when in Australia they played that song so many times over the years on the radio. Like oh, that's one of those songs huge. you couldn't escape. Here. I always remember like, yeah. oh god, I hate that song so much. Um, <laughs> any negatives that we want to delve into? Any other things that kind of niggled? Bartok, you said you had a few niggling things that. Yeah, you, I've, and I'm I've, curious. I've kind of mentioned them, like you know, the main character not speaking much, but then that also tied into my foolishness of oh, the injection got rid of his voice. Yeah. So, yeah. And and I guess um, what was the friend's name? Jamie. Yeah. I guess I was kind of expecting him personally to tie back into the main plot at some point, but honestly, 
listening to Conrad's uh, analysis of his whole subplot, I now see, like, oh, if I watch this film again, I'll totally understand what it was for. Yeah. Mm. I think with me, I don't know, something... And she's doing a good job, but the mum? I don't know. His mum? Brent's mum? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I just... I don't know. I wish there was more there. Like, I get why there isn't. But something about... I don't know if it's a performance or the lack of something there. Something about her, I don't know. Like, she looks great. Like, the, the, the makeup job they've done and this look of just sorrow and grief that just emanates from her. But I kind of wish that we got a little bit more back and forth. But then at the same time, I understand why there isn't more back and forth between her and Brent. Like, I get it. Mm. I don't know. I wish there was some something there about her. There's something hovering there that I just go, I, I don't like it as much as some, I, some of the other stuff. I remember, I remember in the final scene when she hugged him, my thought of like what was going to happen was, oh, she's going to react to how he looks. But no, no she just she, like goes straight for the she, hug. I mean, that's understandable. Understandable, <laughs> yes, but... He looks pretty fucking The girlfriend up, so. reacted already. Yeah, he's covered in yeah, blood. <laughs> like, I've heard people complain about Holly. I don't know. I like Holly, his girlfriend. I like their relationship. I like that. I like the showdown she has with Lola at the end and how pathetic it is. Just them fighting in the car. <laughs> like, how comedy shot it is of, like, the intense Tarantino, like, zoom stares and the music pumping up and then just cuts to, like, them flailing around, like, with no noises. <laughs> but um i don't know the mum something around her i wish maybe more of her or i don't know i don't want to say it's the actress because i don't know she looks cool and she does a good enough job but something about it i don't know what about you guys anything kind of niggling at you guys yeah i I felt like the mum was kind of an underdeveloped character as well like she could have been more sort of a bigger part of brent's life i guess Mm. um and yeah, I, I kind of agree with Batik. I, I thought maybe Jamie would re- would tie in a little bit more. Maybe he was going to save the day. Maybe he was going to pick him up in the car. I don't know. Something else to tie in uh, would have been nice. And I I can't I can't uh, get over the fact that they didn't tie up t- Aiden as well. I I really wanted to know where Aiden is. Oh, you wouldn't know about Aiden. <laughs> well, the thing about Aiden, right, too, is like he seemed like he was lobotomized already, and they already did that process. So somehow he might have, I don't know, like he escaped at some point yeah. in between being put into the basement and yeah, being tied down. Prior. Like, no, like in the journey of their methodology of how they do mm. it. Like, he escaped somehow when he was lobotomized. I think. That's what I'm getting, because he was walking like a zombie. Well, yeah, one of the things I remembered specifically about that opening scene was, yeah, there was a really messed up guy in the middle of the road, but also when the car swerved around him, he looked at the car really nonchalantly, and it was mm. like, what, what was that? Mm. And the fact that, like, later on you get explained, like, oh, he must have been lobotomized, you know, that actually, mm. you know, answers that question uh-huh. for what was a really random thing that wasn't mentioned again. Yeah, yeah. Conrad? Yeah. Any niggling things? Anything else that we haven't already kind of brushed over? I think sometimes the dialogue is a little bit too on the nose um, or goes a little bit too far. The the scene between Brent and the mum where they're talking about how he's going to get to the dance and she's wanting him to take a taxi and not go with Holly, who's only just passed her driving test that day. (laughs) Um, Makes sense. It may, yeah, it makes sense. She's got reservations. You know, her husband died in a car crash. Brent was at the wheel. But Brent says, it's still a car. 
And she replies, but they're experienced, talking yeah. about the taxi driver. Now, that for me, that would have been enough because that the, the implied criticism of Brent and the, the sort of underlying blame and guilt that's going on there, I would have gotten that from their performances and from Brent's reaction to it. But they have to go and add the extra line, and I wasn't, so Dad died, which I thought, oh, for God's mm. sake, you know, you're really, you're really yeah. hammering it in for the dumb people at the back of the theatre. So there were a few moments there where I thought that the dialogue was a little bit clumsy, and I think the film's riffing on misery is a little bit too obvious quite quite a lot of the time you mean the cop getting killed <laughs> the cop getting killed yeah standing over the guy in the basement thinking he's been rescued and then up comes the villainess behind him and puts him out with one fatal stroke yeah it's it's just a little bit too obvious with the you know yet another woman that likes incriminating scrapbooking and <laughs> tying yeah. guys down and, and messing with their feet. Yeah, it's it's just a little bit too on the nose sometimes, whereas I think the other influences are interpolated much more subtly. Like uh, the director, Sean Byrne, talks about how he wanted to make Carrie, it goes to Cabin in the Woods, sort of <laughs> Evil Dead style. And I think you can see that the sort of zombies in the in the basement and even Lola herself is kind of like a walking dead sort of <laughs> character all broken clawing her way along the road at the end not saying anything I, th I, th I think that he interpolated those influences a little bit more subtly whereas misery kind of sticks out in this movie yeah but they're, they're minor niggles I would say they didn't they didn't spoil it for me no I'm yeah, that's kind of all. Like, I, I agree with all these kind of things. Like, this isn't a purely perfect movie, but I think it does its job with expertise. And like we've all said, like you guys have said, it had a lot more depth than one would expect from what you see this movie labeling it as. You know, you think it's going to be mm. this torture porn, misery, misery fest. One of the things I found interesting that Sean Byrne, Byrne talked about was... um is with horror movies he he hates these torture porn movies too in the fact that um they just kill people willy-nilly and there's no like real drive of that the most intense thing one could do in a horror which is the leading up to being killed and this movie really does linger on that that tension that dread of you're going to be fucking murdered right now which is one of the most interesting things that one could explore in a medium of film that is about life the 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 threat of one's life ending while in some other movies it's just kind of like ah oh, they're dead it's really real quick and easy like and they're not going to focus on that while well, this movie very few victims in it and when there are kind of just like it's you know it's like a gut punch when things do happen like even though the cop dying mm. is expected if you've seen misery it's still a gut punch when it happens because you're like, not even just that he could have rescued him. It's like, oh man, I kind of liked that guy and I felt his grief and I felt like he could. <laughs> he sort of did rescue him though. He, he did rescue extra him. Extra little foothold. A little foothold. His rock climbing came in handy again. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think this movie just exceeds in like, this is a small budget Australian movie, but it visually looks great. I think the music is really great. I think all the performances are excellent to like to an insane degree. And I think, you know, for like a first time feature film, and this is only one of two films he's done, um, mm. I think this is a good opener. This is this is how you this is how you open a movie. This is how you open up your career. And uh mm. Yeah. Anything else we want to talk about? Any scenes or moments or queries or questions that we have that we want to kind of touch on 
Bobby? Maybe on a more theory, maybe on a more theoretical aspect of like, what if this happened? Do you think the film would have played out much differently if Brent said yes to be, taking her to the dance? No, like, I, I think know, he, he, yeah. she would have found a problem with him eventually. <laughs> yeah. Because like we talked about, it's her dad. She loves her dad. Yeah. Oh, that's something I want to talk about. Incest. Australian films oh, yes. fucking oh, love incest. They fucking love it. Ben Mendelsohn starred in two films in which he's in incestual relationships. This film has incest. A lot of incest things in Australian media because we live in the desert with no civilization, apparently. Like, that's how everyone lives, apparently, in Australian media. Uh, it, um, this film, as exploitative as it could be and is at points, it knows not to overstep that line. It has enough implications and enough kind of cueing in of the audience of this incestual relationship to the point in which, Bartek, I ask you, do you think that they've had sexual relations, the father and daughter? I actually really bought it as a genuine realisation uh, when the daughter looked at him while dancing and realised, oh my god, it was you all along. So I yeah. would have to say no. Yeah. And that if, had they both lived beyond that point, then it probably would have gotten to that point. I agree. I think also with his performance, Daddy's performance, when he's looking at her, getting dressed, is this very reserved, like he's trying not to look, but he has to. And it's like, if they had already had this sexual relationship, he wouldn't be as timid. Uh, yes, there's that body part mm -hmm. I've seen many times. You know, there uh... wouldn't be that timidness there. <laughs> what about you guys? How did you guys feel about this implementation of incest into the film? Well, we've stumbled across incest before watching Amityville 2 The Possession, and <laughs> that was a very mm. uncomfortable discussion because that movie goes a lot further in terms of how it depicts yeah. that. I think, I think this one is, it's it doesn't go really full bore into it. I think Bartik is right. I, I totally buy it that sh this this relationship hasn't gotten that far yet. I think it probably would eventually. But she's a curiously sexually immature person. So even when she's um, pulling out Brent's dick, she's not particularly interested in, in, that, in, in that sense. She's just sort of humiliating him. She's not talking about sex in any way at all. So I... I kind of feel like it's it's all sort of childish with her, um, mm. so and, and immature. So I don't, I'm not too worried about it. But yeah, I don't know where they would have gotten to if uh, Brent hadn't intervened. <laughs> True. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I just agree with I agree with everyone. Like it, it was it was done very well. It was it was kind of implied, but it wasn't shown. Uh, and yeah, I I think that they hadn't gone that far yet, but probably. If, yeah, yeah, probably would have eventually. I think it, I think it would have been uh, too excessive, and I think they really just cap it off nicely with we don't need to see that. What we do need to see is the fact that Lola fucking hates her mum and kills her at the end, because that also adds yeah. to this dynamic that this untold story of this dynamic as a family. Poor old bright eyes. Yeah. I guess, yeah, it's also like, oh, yes. my dad is dead. Why should you be alive? I also love that they call her bright eyes, but she has, like, the dullest eyes one could have. <laughs> it's, a, it's an in-joke, Ryan. It's an in-joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't hear you. Um, I guess the final... I guess if no one else has anything... no, Does anyone else have anything they want to bring up? Uh, I mean, I just want to bring it up quickly. I love the Australian setting in films. Mm. Uh, I think it's just amazing. It's it's always yeah a desert township in the middle of nowhere. 
But it's it's such a great setting for especially horror films, I guess, like Snowtown and Wolf Creek. Um, yeah. But this film really does utilize that sort of small town vibe. I mean, what where was this film? It was filmed in a few um, places. One of the the school scenes were filmed in the suburb that I live in, so it's filmed in Melbourne suburbia. But then other scenes were filmed in uh, I can't remember what the town was called, but a town that's just outside of Melbourne mm. in Victoria. So, but then the film's also set in Queensland, evidently, because the police car's license plate is from Queensland. So, oh, is it? <laughs> okay. So it's a bit of a mishmash what, what, of things. What's wrong with Victoria? Nothing wrong with it, but weird stuff happens in either South Australia or Queensland. That's where like the weird people oh, live. Yeah. Melbourne and Victoria. <laughs> we're very we're fancy people. Come visit us. Our tourism. We're the art capital. <laughs> we're the art capital. When when um the Victorian Board of Film financed this movie, I'm pretty sure that they were like, "Can you make it look like Queensland? <laughs> because we want people to come here." <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I love the Australian setting, but one thing I've found with this is I think that this film has a very, in filmmaking terms, it has a very Aussie sensibility, but also in European sensibility in its horror making. Like this didn't feel like it was just riffing on Wolf Creek, which is a very, very Ausploitation kind of Australian mm. horror movie. Wasn't the villain from Wolf Creek the actor mm. uh, considered for the role of the dad? In yeah, this? he didn't yeah. want to get typecast. I'm glad they didn't have him because I think the guy who plays daddy mm. in this is perfect. He looks like not yeah. at all menacing, but also very menacing. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Anything else? We don't call it a prom in Australia. Uh, oh. <laughs> no, we don't call it a prom no. here in Australia. We just call it the, the school formal. The formal or school dance. I mean, in the film, they don't call it the prom. They do they? Don't they? I think they do. The yeah, big they, banner they, they have is they end of school, end of year school dance. End of, yeah, yeah, end of school dance. Oh. End of year. Maybe it was just dance, the marketing yeah. that said. The marketing does, mistake. and even the director in the commentary track calls it a prom because he does say like, "I'm a big John Hughes fan." Uh, I love teen movies. I I love teen movies, and I thought it would be (laughs) great to make a teen movie like what we saw, which is a horror movie as well. Um, If no one else has anything to say, I want to question us all: the ending of a villain, a movie monster, a you know horror movie villain is always very poignant of how they get done, how they get uh, you know killed. Did we find it satisfying? Because I love how just blunt and matter of fact, and also like how it mixes this comedy element of just how brutal it is, but also like leading up to that, we've had like a solid two minutes of like this absurdity that she's still alive, and then a minute of her realizing she's gonna die, and how beautiful it's shot, and how beautiful the music is. You're like, huh? She's realizing that this is her end. I kind of feel sad for her. Then sudden cut to to her head getting fucking crushed in. (laughs) Yeah. How did you feel, Bartek, <laughs> about the end of Bulma? And I guess the end of Daddy, too, if you want to tuck that in. I mean, he died brilliantly. <laughs> yeah, the Daddy one was a bit quicker than earlier in the film. Uh, yeah, I thought they were well done. It was very obvious that, like, oh, Lola, you're not getting out of this. Even when, like, she can't... There's that long shot <laughs> of the car all the way at the left of the frame. And I'm like, it's really hanging on this. Am I meant to be seeing Lola somewhere? Then she crawls in really slowly. I'm like, oh, Lola, you're dead. That shot does a good job of letting the audience just know, oh, no, no, she's not doing that ch- typical movie trope thing where Michael Myers gets shot 15 times and then he comes back to stab and you. And like. No, no, no. She's, she's in the back seat. Yeah, no, no. She's just fucking like they're just gonna reverse on her. Like there's no ifs and no buts. What about you, Dan? How did you feel about the end of a horror movie icon, Lola Stone? Yeah. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I, I loved the sort of comedic effect. Uh, uh, sort of 
take on it as well. And that sort of sad, uh, the, the thud of the car hitting her head and the, the blood stain on the, on the bumper. Uh, yeah, it was really, it was really well paced as well. It wasn't too quick. It was kind of really drawn out. So you, you knew what was going to happen, but yeah, I loved it. Even her notebook didn't make it. She'd use that to throw at the car and it just explodes. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing makes it out of that house alive. Uh, and Conrad, how did you feel about your end of the year school dance uh, partner dying? <laughs> Yeah, I really loved that scene. That the wide shot that she slowly crawls into is hilarious, and um, I, I was sort of, um, I noticed that there was these these moments that were sort of picked out for slow mos that were sort of slightly longer than you would expect them to be. Mm. So Jamie has his epiphany just looking at Mia in the hallway. You have a moment with Brent with Holly in the car where Holly is enjoying. Brent's attentions, let's say. <laughs> I didn't say any yeah, more yeah. than that. Mm-hmm. But there is a very long, lingering slow mo on her face there, which s- sort of shows you how he feels about her. So that's sort of his epiphany. And Lola's epiphany is oh shit, <laughs> this car is coming straight <laughs> yeah. at me. And I just love how that, that scene is just slightly too long and then wham, <laughs> she's gone. It's, uh, yeah, it's quite satisfying. Brent finally killed the right person with his car. Yes. Yes, exactly. I did. I yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like it it delivers the laugh, but also it's just a great ending. Like it would be a cop out. I love uh Sean Sean Burns said, like, you know, it's a low budget horror movie. You can either go all the way, balls to the wall, or you can be in the middle ground. And he's like, and the middle ground is one thing in boring. Why would you want to be boring? I want to be full throttle. And he's like, and at the end, when I show her getting hit, some people wouldn't show that shot of her head getting hit, but I think the audience had deserved their goodies by that point. And it's true. <laughs> that is true. Um, I think that's about it. I'm very curious to check out his other film. I haven't had the chance to check out his other film, which is uh, Devil's Candy. I'm pretty sure it's called. It's it's called the Loved One too. The, Aiden's Revenge. Yeah, Aiden's Revenge. He's back, baby. <laughs> I think that movie delves more into some supernatural type angles or, or kind of that kind of thing. I'm very curious. I've heard it's also very good. So, um, I'm very curious to check that out. Are you Bartek? Sure, why not? <laughs> so mild and mannerly reserved. Like, yeah, sure. Was it filmed in Melbourne? Do they have L plates? I don't plates? know if it's filmed in Australia or not, because I think he's kind of like Australia, right? Get out of here. <laughs> because it's very hard to make movies here. <laughs> it's very hard. If you're an Australian filmmaker, if you're American, you can easily make films here because we love using our, our scenery. Of course, the iconic one is The, mm. the Matrix, filmed in, in Sydney. And that's why The Matrix has, like, all the Australian actors are in it. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully you guys get curious and uh, check out his other film. Uh, I'd like to hear. I would like to oh, see it. I'd like sure. to hear people report it back to me. I haven't actually met anyone who's watched it. I haven't met anyone who watched The Loved Ones. I'm the one who's watched The Loved Ones, and I show it to people. Some people say I inflict it <laughs> upon them. <laughs> but they're weaklings. <laughs> so I guess it's time to wrap up the show, Bartek. I think it's time to put our party hats away, put Daddy's <laughs> hammer back in the toolbox, back in the Kingswood, which is a very Australian. Sweep joke. up that glitter. What was that Dan? 
sweep up that glitter. Sweep up all that glitter. <laughs> yeah. Impossible. Eat the roadkill. Um, Bartek, <laughs> our next episode is a listening people's choice. A fellow podcast recommended a movie. Mm-hmm. Since we're in the horror genre, I thought it would be wise to keep on trucking in that genre. We're going to be covering a very horrific movie. Some might say the scariest movie that we'll ever cover and the scariest movie from the 2010s. The film is called Jack and Jill, starring Adam Sandler. Um, oh, I, I know who the guest <laughs> is now. <laughs> and we're going to be joined by a fellow podcast called the Miscellaneous Podcast. The scary thing is one of them guys genuinely loves Jack and Jill. Oh, I didn't know it was a genuine love. It's a genuine love, so I'm very scared, Bartek. I I think watching Adam Sandler play a female version of himself is going to be very scary. Well, there's also a male version. Forget Uncut Gems being a tense movie. Jack and Jill's the intense movie that I'm scared of. it's got Al Pacino in it. Dunkachino. So, listening people, make sure to check out that movie if you want. We'll be covering that next episode. So... Go ahead. Uh, Conrad, Dan, tell us a little bit about where we can find your podcast. And uh, do you have any uh, exclusives you can tell us of any uh, upcoming movies or things you're going to be discussing anytime soon or in the new year that you want to cover? Well, you can find us on all of uh, the uh, podcast platforms as Movie Oubliette. That's spelled O-U-B-L-I-E-T-T-E. I know a lot of people have trouble spelling it. Yeah, and you're the only it. podcast I know with Oubliette <laughs> in the title. Yes. I mean, well, we, we didn't for choose... originality. <laughs> yeah. And just fun fact, this movie, we didn't even talk about before, while we recorded, but uh, this movie had an Oubliette of a sort with the basement. And no, I did not choose this movie because of that. I only thought of that. I chose this movie because these guys do cult, weird, horror, sci-fi, weird movies, fun movies. And I thought, this is one that they need to cover. And I thought, we need to cover it with them. And it just happened to have its own Oubliette. So, <laughs> you guys are on Twitter. You guys. Yes, we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. You can find us there with that difficult to spell word. I'll <laughs> have the, your your social stuff in the description for this episode. Do make sure to check these guys out. These guys are just covering some fascinating choices. It will be it's just very old. Like one one episode, you're listening to them talk about this really fucked up movie, and then the next, it's Ewoks. Uh, <laughs> yes also a fucked up movie it's very it's, yes. Wilfred Brimley was in two I- ho- iconic horror movies The Thing and the Ewoks movie very scary <laughs> yeah. um, so any anything that you're going to tease out for what you're going to be covering anytime soon our next episode will be focusing on the 80s movie House and our special guest will be Simon Barber from the popular Soda Joker on Songwriting podcast. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I love House mm. and I love House 2 even more. <laughs> if you do, yes. you have to do House 2 at some point. House 2 I think is even better, but that's because it's more <laughs> comedic in my interpretation. I love House Okay, House. Not the TV show, Bartek. Bartek's looking like, is this one with Hugh Laurie no, in it? Are I they covering the full series that. of House? <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a movie. The horror of that TV show is Hugh Laurie has an American accent and people think he's American and then when he does his normal British accent, people are like, wow, he's British? Well, and I'm like, I've known this the whole time. Well, I've watched Blackadder. No, he was the dad in Stuart Little. <laughs> mm. He was the dad in Stuart Little. Yeah, M. Night Shyamalan's greatest written film. Stuart Little. 
<laughs> so, listening people, make sure to check out Conrad and Dan, Movie Oubliette. It's the only podcast that I know that has movie and oubliette in the title. Don't know. Maybe there's someone else out there called Oubliette Movie Podcast. Who knows? <laughs> and they're like the evil doppelganger versions where the version that... There's like the New Zealand version is the one that's Conrad and the English version the one that's Dan. Like it's they're, they're, Con- they're Conrad and Dan's uh, equivalent to our shoe shining video yeah. rivals. So make sure to check them out. Listening people, obviously you check us out on all this. We're only on Twitter and Facebook. We don't do Instagram. I can't be bothered with it. <laughs> nice, <But> nice. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, and yeah, Spin Posh Presents, you can find us pretty easy. We're always posting some fun stuff, questions and little facts and some fun images, maybe some some fun little videos here and there. We're on a, we've got YouTube as well. And, you know, we're on all the podcatchers, you know, Spotify, iTunes, all that. You can find us pretty easy. How about you do us a solid and rate and review us? And while you're at it, rate and review the uh, movie, uh, movie Obliette, guys, because, you know, we are podcasting people. We do love doing what we do, but we love our egos as well and being told that we're five stars. That's what I love. The egos are on our face. Yeah. The egos are all <laughs> in our face. We also have an email address. That's right, we do. What is it? Spit and polished. That's spit and polished ed at gmail.com. Yeah, spit and polished at gmail.com. You can email us with movie suggestions of your own, as Liam did with Jack and Jill. Um, you can give us your thoughts on the movie. You can give us death threats. Do you want to invite us to your end of, <laughs> end of school dance? I'll come. I won't. I won't. But don't let them know that. My formal was halfway through the year, so yeah. My formal was at the end of the year. Um, so, until next time, listening people, remember, it's finger licking good. Yeah. And happy new year. <laughs> 